Hi, I'm Sam Medina. You can catch me on Mile 22, Venom, Elite Battle Angel, and you are listening to Inside Your Head with Nasty Neil. Thank you very much. Welcome to Inside Your Head. This is Nasty Neil, and I'm joined by Marta in the current number one movie, The Nun, Lily Fordon. How you doing? Oh, man, I'm doing so great. Thank you. Yeah, so The Nun, number one movie of the week. Uh, that must feel pretty cool. Yeah, I'm super proud to be part of something, even if it's, you know, a smaller part of something, but still part of something that is such a huge success. And I knew it would be when I was making it. Mm-hmm. So how did you get involved in The Nun? Um, you know, I just auditioned for uh, the role. And it was a fantastic role, and um, and it happened pretty quickly. So uh, so I was at Warner Brothers like um, a few days later for a fitting, and and then I had a couple of days on set, and there were some rehearsals, and it was just a fantastic uh, overall experience. Mm-hmm. I saw pictures from the uh, the premiere where you were like surrounded by nuns and uh, with no face, <laughs> yeah. basically. So, <laughs> what was that experience like? Um, well, I, I think I was like one of the first people to arrive on the carpet and I, you know, I saw these, these statuesque nuns and I was like, oh my goodness, well, that looks really cool. How cool, how cool that they set up all these statues. Uh And, uh, and then as I progressed down the carpet and was, you know, paying attention to photos and making sure my dress looks good and that I was, you know, looking at the right, in the right direction. Um, one of them grabbed me, um, hugged me from behind uh-huh. and there, and of course the photo was caught. Um, it was caught on photo. So, um, <laughs> that was totally honest, uh, complete shock and surprise uh-huh. and terror. <laughs> and then, and then, but it was like a really nice touch. Like, yeah. The person was like super gentle and like, I was like, Ooh, that feels a little to the left, a little to the right. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So you and the nun then went out later that evening, I guess. No. Yeah. We got a drink and, you know, talked uh-huh. about religion and philosophy and uh-huh. yeah, all of that stuff. So was that your first time seeing the finished movie at the premiere? Yes, it was. It was. Have you seen it? Yes. Yeah. what do you think? I enjoyed it. It was, uh, it's very creepy vibe. It's, uh, almost kind of like a hammer movie, like the old, uh, hammer horror movies where it's, uh, I think with the setting and it's more about, I think, uh, the feeling of the movie, but there's also the, the scares and stuff, but yeah, I dug it. Yeah. It's like an I old thought school it was movie. very, yeah, it was very atmospheric and it's like perfect for the fall. And, and, um, you know, it's very like, like I, I, you know, I just wanted to huddle up and, just like, you know, and, and I had, you know, I hadn't read the script before. So there were definitely a lot of times where I was really surprised and I had a lot of scares and, um, yeah, I think it's the perfect, perfect movie for the, for the fall. So I hope everybody goes out and continues to go out and see it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, are you into horror movies? Yeah. Um, I am, I'm not a horror fan per se. I actually got into it through the experience of booking this movie. I mean, I had seen Insidious, um, but I hadn't seen The Conjuring movie. So um, so this was really my opportunity to catch up with those films. I had seen Rosemary's Baby and The Shining, and, you know, I love those classic films. Mm-hmm. But this was the first time that I was able to, um, to really delve into horror as a genre, and then I went out and saw whatever horror was in the movie theaters, and I, you know, I... I gone back and watched some horror movies from like the past and so i i would say that now i am officially a horror fan very cool so what, what would what would you say is your favorite horror movie um i mean i would say the nun but i think that's probably because i'm in it <laughs> <laughs> and i you know i um I, I just loved it and I really mm-hmm. enjoyed it and I really enjoyed the whole experience. So I guess I, if I separate myself from the equation and like look at it totally objectively, I would say, um, the conjuring, um, mm-hmm. split between the conjuring one and two. Yeah. Um, 
And then I, I did a film a couple of years ago uh, with Katrina Law and Jodie Quigley called um, Apparition. Mm-hmm. And that was directed by a director I'd worked with before called Quinn Saunders. And I actually, that was like one of the first like horror movies that I, that I watched, you know, uh-huh. that I was like, okay, I'm going to watch this. And cause yeah, cause I, I'm, cause I had, have never been a horror buff. I'm terrified of horror. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I, now I'm starting to appreciate the feeling that I get watching a horror and, and like what I can take away from it. But before I was like, Oh my gosh, why would anybody want to be scared? Why would anybody want to put themselves through the torture? But now I'm like understanding that and the tension and the story and the characters. And so I I totally, I totally am into it now. Mm -hmm. When you watch a movie like the apparition or any movie that you're in, um, can you watch it as a movie or do you watch it like uh, thinking of, of making it and like the experience of, uh, of filming it? It's really hard for me to separate um, the movie from the experience of making it. It is. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it's like I have to work on that. But, you know, with with uh, I've been lucky enough to be in the few horror movies that I've done. I was able to enjoy watching it and to disengage um, from the idea that, you know, of seeing behind the scenes. So, so in a way I'm like super attached to these movies because I'm in them, but Mm -hmm. I'm also able to enjoy them and step out of it and, you know, stop judging as, as, you know, a filmmaker and I'm getting into producing and writing as well. So, so like, I'm really paying attention to both the acting and like, you know, set design and artistic direction and mm. d- direction and the writing. And I'm starting to like, it's like even more of a mind mess than it was before when I was just an actor. Mm-hmm. So what but, kind of stuff, yeah, yeah. What kind of stuff are you writing? So I, I wrote a couple of short films, um, but like with a lot of time in between. So I produced one of them and acted in one of them in Hungary when I was living there and it was part of like a one day competition. And then I'm writing a feature called, uh, I mean, a short film called Amble with a Hungarian female director and then a producer that I worked with on another feature. And um, our film Curtiz, which is about the making of Casablanca, it's a biopic about director Michael Curtiz, mm-hmm. um, just premiered at the Montreal World Film Festival. And uh, it won the first prize. I didn't write that, but I did bring um, an American writer to it. I brought the American team to it. So I became a producer on the film as well as acting in the film. So that was the first feat. That was the first feature that I worked on, not just as an actor. Mm -hmm. What was that experience like, uh, you know, besides being an actor, being uh, behind the scenes producing? It was uh, really interesting. It was a very different experience in acting. And I've learned, I learned a lot. I would say it was better than probably going to film school because we had a budget, um, a pretty big budget for, it was shot in Hungary, but in English. And it took place at Warner Brothers studios because obviously Casablanca was filmed at Warner Brothers. It's not a documentary. It's, it's a scripted biographical, Mm -hmm. historical biographical film. So it was, um, it was definitely a a learning lesson. I, I mean, the whole, the, it just, I, I think I walked away with, with a lot. And I think I, you know, for, to take, I have a lot to take with me to my next project. And I also liked the aspect of working across borders, um, mm-hmm. you know, we're working, uh, bringing together a Hungarian crew with like American, like Jan and Raphael Feldman were in it. And then we had some, uh, local actors who worked in Hungary, but were are like American or British and working with them, um, it was really amazing, and uh, we got funding from the Hungarian national TV station. Well, well, the the, produ- the main producers did, and then um, I tried to bring more money to it, which I was not able to do. But I did bring a lot of value and in kind sort of um, value to the film, which I think is helping it. You mm-hmm. know, this whole team that's come together for this movie just believes in it. Uh, I think that's what won us you know, that's partially what won us the grand prize. And, um, that was our first festival. So I'm hoping it's, it's going to go to, you know, we're, we're applying obviously everywhere here in the state. Mm-hmm. So, um, the, the producer is the producer who did control the movie uh, about the joy division. It's also black and white. Okay. So this is a black and white, 
this is a black and white film as well. Mm-hmm. That's a very artistic film, but it's also um, geared to like a, a, an audience film as well. Obviously it's not just, um, it's not, it's not like out there or anything like the script is really tight and the story is really great. Mm-hmm. What was it about the, uh, the story that interested you? I love the film Casablanca. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know originally that Michael Curtiz was Hungarian. So, so I started learning about him. I mean, I'd seen like pictures of him, but I didn't somehow associate him with being Hungarian. So exploring my, my roots and then connecting it to the roots the Hungarian roots here in Hollywood was really interesting, the history of it. And then my character was Irene Lee, um, which it, who was the story editor for Warner brothers. And she worked with Halby Wallace, who was um, the producer of Casablanca. And he worked on a lot of pictures with Michael Curtiz. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And that was like in the forties in the made Casablanca, I think. So was that unusual for, yeah. for a female at the time to work like uh, uh, behind the scenes on a movie? You know, there were a lot of assistants and, and she, I think if it, in, if it were now, she would have been like an executive at the studio or sure. like a screenwriter. But what she did basically was she found the play for Halby Wallace. It was an unproduced play um, by a young couple who were school teachers and the play hadn't been produced on Broadway. So she went and found this play, swept it up for $20,000, which at the time was like $300,000 which to the, you can imagine that a young couple is like, wow. So the play that she found was Everybody Comes to Rick's. That's the play that Casablanca is based on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually read the play, and it's fascinating how close the movie is to the play. There was actually very little change. There, there wasn't anything big. Um, some of the nationalities of the characters were changed. The names of the characters were changed. But, but mostly it's pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. as the play it um it was is that the first festival you had a movie in no i mean i've uh you know I, i've had a lot of movies and they've been in a lot of different festivals um but this was the first i would say the first festival that i went to mm-hmm. and i went to it because it's a supporting role in that movie as well irene the role of irene lee i've got two really great strong scenes but um, it was the first time that I was a producer as well as an actor in a film. Mm-hmm. So, and, I, and also, I'd never been to Montreal, and I wanted to explore the city. And the whole team was going, so it was a good reunion. Yeah, yeah very cool. Yeah, I just uh, came back from my first, well, not my first festival, but uh, I was at London for Fright Fest, the horror movie festival. And it was a very uh, fun experience. Wow, amazing. How, yeah. I, that sounds wonderful. And yeah. London is such a beautiful city. Yeah, it was my first time there. It was very cool, and they showed a they showed a trailer for the nun actually. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> at the, yeah, at the convention at the festival. Yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you mentioned that uh, it's based off a play, and I saw that you were were a theater a theater actor. Um, what's the difference between acting, you know, in plays on the theater and acting in the movie? Um, that's a question that actors get asked a lot. And I think that Uh the basis of acting in a play versus acting in on stage, like, like what, let's, let's start with what makes it the same. It's, it all comes from the same place, I think, which is like, um, a place of joy, you know, you, you, a play, even if it's a hard scene, you have to love what you're doing to get on stage and to, to stand out in front of people and be vulnerable or be funny, you know, some, to some people being funny is being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's the same in a play. I mean, uh, in a film, but I think that, uh, the acting style maybe is different. I think it's being a stage actor. Um, well, I was a film actor originally, even as a kid, but, but then going back, I, I think it was like going back and forth for a lot of my, uh, childhood and into my teens and through college. Um, I think they both really supplemented each other. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. What about like the immediate reaction, I guess, uh, when you're performing in a play? Um, I love that. I love that back and forth between a live audience and filming. Um, yeah, that's, that's magic. So there is, there is a sort of magic that happens on stage in a theater in front of a live audience. 
that's very different from the rush that I get when I'm on set. It's very different. The stakes are higher in some respect on the stage. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very immediate. Um, what you say and what you do and everything is being watched and it lands instantly. There's no options for retakes. And then in film, you know, it's the money. I mean, less now with digital, but still it's very, the stakes are more financial and time. There's mm -hmm. a time constraint. Um, but having the theater experience really helps me to uh, map a character's arc and like find when and where the character has, you know, they're like, um, I'm also very much into, um, like Carl Jung and, um, Joseph Campbell, you know, mm -hmm. I went to Sarah Lawrence and that that's where Joseph Campbell taught and wrote some of his best work. So like where like a character will have their moment of, um, let's say their, you know, their darkest moment, um, or their moment of no return. And I think that's fascinating. And, a lot of our work is what writers do too. We have to kind of figure out what, where the writer is going and say the words exactly as written. Mm -hmm. um, but the, our job is more the how. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're writing, are you writing um, uh, stuff for you to act in or, or is that not part of your writing? Sometimes I, I don't insist. Like I, I get opportunities to work as an actor and I, love working with other people. Mm -hmm. um, I have written stuff for myself, but I, I'm open to like um, being, you know, wearing one hat. Like mm -hmm. it was really fun to act in something and then help produce it as well. But that wasn't my project. Like I came on later in the game. And um, so, so <laughs> I, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. Yeah. As long as it's interesting, yeah, like, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, is it well along those lines, like uh, writing and acting? Is it just a, a creative outlet? Uh, is there do you get the same like um, uh, enjoyment out of it, or the same uh, sense of fulfillment? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a baby with writing. I studied creative writing at Sarah Lawrence, but I guess I've lacked the confidence to like go out and actually write. But it's it's very amazing. The writing process. Um, it's definitely, you know, um, it takes a certain type of person to sit and write. And that's not necessarily me. I have to have the time to like get into it. I need like an hour just to like sit down yeah. <laughs> and then I need like, yeah, yeah. And get into it and then I'll get into it. Like, and then, you know, if you have to go somewhere, it pulls you out and then it takes so much time to get back to that point. So it's very time consuming for me as mm -hmm. a process, but it's, it's magical and I would like to do it much more often. You mentioned, you know, uh, acting since, uh, since you were young. Uh, and I, I saw your mother as an actress, actor. Um, is that something that she wanted you to do or you wanted to do because she was an actor or did she ever talk, try to talk you out of it? No, my mother has always been, um, the one to support me in my acting. In fact, I, there were, there were times when I was pulled, my interest pulled me in different directions and, uh, and she would always remind me, you know, that I, she really believes that I'm, I have an like a, an inherent like gift and talent. And it's hard for me to say that. Um, I now believe it. <laughs> um, but you know, it's what I do, you know, it's what I've, devoted my life to so I think it's okay for me to say that I I obviously chose this path because I have an inclination and a talent for it mm -hmm. and of course I've been working on my craft um, not in class at the moment but I but I I you know I always find uh, you know new impulses and try to uh, try to be in class and mm -hmm. coach on on things and you know work on my role mm-hmm uh, what are you saying just there? I think, you know, you know, first of all, you like you didn't want to say something necessarily good about yourself because that could come off like you have an ego. But I think uh, you have to have confidence in, in whatever you do if you're going to be successful. Totally, totally. And there's a level of humility that you have to have as well. So, 
you know, um, because we're always learning and we're always becoming better. And there's a lot of obviously disappointment in this, um, in this business. It's the best at times and the worst. It's the best of times and the worst of times. So, you know, when you're on a, riding a good wave and you're booking work all the time and you're on set all the time, it's wonderful. But the downtimes can be challenging, you know, audition after audition. And, and that can wear on your confidence. Luckily, I have some great projects that are coming out and, you know, have yet to come out. And um, I'm auditioning constantly. So I'm hoping that the next role will find me soon. Yeah. When you say that, like that, have yet to come out, what's that like to, like, uh, make something... And then, uh, especially if you're just an actor you, on it, uh, you, you, you act on it, then, you know, you're kind of gone from it and it doesn't come out for like a year or two. Yeah, that was really hard for me. My first film, Cherry, um, which was my first feature here in, when I moved to L.A., uh, it took like two years for it to come out. And I was going crazy because I was like, for some reason, I expected like as soon as we finished for it to be like ready and like, <laughs> you know, and then I, you know, in those two years, um, I booked some jobs, but it was the first two years here. So nobody knew me. And, it, you know, I was a waitress in two different restaurants. And it was, it was, the, the not knowing was really hard. And, you know, and then the self-doubt started to keep in like, am I, did I do a good job? I'm not hearing from the director. Is he, you know, is he happy with my work? Um, how did the film turn out? What's, what's the film going to bring? And as the years have gone by and as I've, you know, I've got like 60, 60 or so projects on my resume, I've let go of, or well, not all of those are acting. Some of those are producing and writing, but as I've let go of, um, of the expectations and I'm learning every day to let go of the expectation and just, uh, you know, agree with myself to make the best of every situation. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I'm talking to you right now, because I believe it's important to celebrate our work, mm-hmm. to to appreciate the opportunities that were given by others and, you know, to some degree given to us by ourselves, the work that we put in, the, the name that we build. I have another fest, uh, film coming out soon. I'm going to the festival. I can't say yet what it is and where it is, mm-hmm. but, um, but I was invited to go to another festival. So. So it's a lot of celebration and I'm really enjoying, I'm really enjoying the travel that comes with that and um, the fun because it's so much fun to be at the festivals and at the uh-huh. premieres and, and on set and connecting with people all the time. And even auditions, even going to an audition, like I put everything into it. When I get an audition, I drop everything and I focus fully on the audition. I have two today actually. And I just, um, you know, I just, and then, you know, I, I obviously won't, when I get home, I feel like I've put in like a full days of work, nine to five, even though the audition itself was like, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, which is considered a lot actually for an audition. Uh Um, The getting ready, the the learning the lines, the waiting in the waiting room, the going in is like the apex of it, but it's all of these things that build up to that moment. And then the come down and then, you know, getting myself a treat for going to these auditions and for being (laughs) prepared. Uh What kind of treat do you get? It's usually, so what I started doing is treating myself before the audition. I'm realizing that that is, um, I know I'm going to go to the audition and I'm I know I'm going to do my best. So instead Uh of like getting a a nice coffee or a nice dessert or something after Mm -hmm. the audition, I get it before. And I I feel that that brings me more joy in the process of auditioning because I've Mm -hmm. already rewarded myself for the work that I know that I'm going to do. Yeah. It sounds like it would calm you down a little bit. It would take away some of the nerves. It's like a brain hack, right? You're psyching yourself out, making yourself be in that state of like, I've already done it. I've already done the work. The hard part is over. Now I've just got to go in and fly. Yeah, yeah. When you talked about uh, traveling and having fun, um, so like if you go to someplace, like when you said you're Montreal, do you make sure you see Montreal too instead of just, you know, the theater and the festival? Uh, we, we walked a lot when we were in Montreal. I tried not to take too many Ubers. Um, and, and Montreal is such a beautiful city. And, um, and I've gone all over for, for filming. Mm -hmm. I, and, and the festivals as well. Um, I only had like a couple of hours really 
mm-hmm. in Montreal because I landed and then we had all kinds of events and screenings and stuff of our film. And so, and then I did have to sleep some, <laughs> so right. I didn't get to, but I was in little Italy and mm-hmm. I was staying with a friend of a friend, which I prefer to do over a hotel. This mm-hmm. was one of those trips where I had to pay my own way. They're not all like that, but, mm-hmm. but I didn't mind at all. I, I, looked at it as an investment and also as a nice getaway and like a, another way of treating myself. And I was in little Italy, which I loved. And, uh, but of course the festival was at the Imperial theater, mm-hmm. which is in the middle of Montreal. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, I, it, I love the city. I, I heard that it gets pretty brutal in the winter, but yeah. uh, late summer is really nice and yeah. uh, beautiful beautiful hikes and walks even in the middle of the city you can go up to a mountain oh wow, that's um, cool yeah i've never yeah. been there but mm. <laughs> oh wow you should go and if you go go in the summer i heard that sure. there's underground tunnels for the winter because the winters are so brutal oh that wow. people move below ground there's like <laughs> 10 miles of underground it's like an yeah. underground city i didn't uh-huh. get to see that but i didn't have to because it was so beautiful out yeah that's wild to think about so, um, yeah. what was it, what was it like to be in a book club? Because you're in with you know these iconic actors like Jane Fonda and Diane Keaton. Well, talk about an amazing experience. That was um, that was beautiful. It was beautiful. Um, you know, I didn't get to meet everybody on set, but I did meet people. You know, um, after like at the premiere and then the wrap party. Um, my scenes were with. Uh, Mary Steenburgen and Craig T. Nelson, who are so amazing, so amazing. And, um, and my scenes, thank God, thank goodness all made the cut. And, uh, and it was, I, I was really happy with the scenes and my performance and the way I looked, it all came together really, 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 really nicely. And it's also a supporting role. Um, And, but I, I hope it was a memorable one. I actually had fun, a couple of people not recognize me. You know, they had seen the movie mm-hmm. and they, and they were like, Oh, I saw book club, you know? And I was like, Oh, cool. <laughs> You're like, we didn't see you. I was like, um, <laughs> I was the dance instructor in the scenes <laughs> with Mary Steenburgen and Craig T. Nelson. Oh, wow. You were the dance. You, that was you. Oh my God. And I'm like, laugh and clap and be like oh my <laughs> goodness you know and uh yeah because it's a, even at the premiere like um they didn't really people like richard dreyfus was like wow that was you i did not recognize you <laughs> you were kind of mean in that you were kind of mean in that movie i was like oh yeah <laughs> i was pretty strict i'm very different in real life <laughs> Uh, how about a Westworld? Because it's one of my favorite shows on TV. I think it's amazing. So uh, I know you're in the episode where you play the um, fortune teller. Yes, that was episode five, season one. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that also, you know, was uh, an amazing set to be on. And Johnny Campbell was the director, and my scenes were with Evan Rachel Wood and Jimmy Simpson and Ben Barnes. Uh, not everything made the cut, but I'm in it, and and the footage is beautiful. It was all filmed on film, mm-hmm. um, so that experience of filming with film again, which I haven't done in so many years, was really wonderful. There's a magic to filming on film, and and it looks different. I mean, it does. Mm-hmm. See, it, but you feel that when you're when you're actually uh, performing in front of the the camera, that it's that's a different yes. uh, feeling. Yes, yes, there's fewer takes. So people don't go until everything is ready. Mm-hmm. And you're expected to deliver on the first take, which I, I like my first take. And I used to be a third take girl. Now I'm a first take girl. I've worked my way up. <laughs> uh-huh. But yeah, it, it looks different. Like the cameras look bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, somehow it just felt um, bigger. There was a reverence for the process because of it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, there was a quiet on set. And I think partly it had to do with obviously with the, you know, the level of talent and the the scene itself was very um, 
the scenes were all very uh, uh, deep and mm-hmm. um, profound. At least I saw it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think everybody felt, felt it and was very reverent and quiet for the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you watch the show? Yes, I watched um, season, all of season one and um, some of season two. I have to catch up, though. Yeah. I do have to catch up. <laughs> uh, you also deal with AI, artificial intelligence, and Battlestar Galactica, Blood and Chrome. So do you have any thoughts on AI? Yes, it's, it's actually terrifying to me. Um, I don't know where it will go. I don't, I don't know, um, you know, I... I I think everything that I, that you see on TV, I mean, that's just the way it's been, right? Everything you see on TV is going to be real mm-hmm. at some point. Uh-huh. And, um, so I really do think that it's, it's going to happen, that it's happening already as we see in factories, artificial, mm-hmm. um, AI is replacing humans. And I think even like the cell phones and like facial recognition and all of this stuff, it's, uh, it makes you think. It makes you wonder where mm-hmm. where it's going, what what's going to happen. And I don't think it's something that. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if it's something that's being dealt with properly. I don't know if it's something that's being really addressed in popular culture. I mean, obviously we're we're seeing the results of it in movies like Westworld and obviously the Cylons and Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. I wish there was more. Yes. Yeah, I wish there was more um, in mainstream discussion about it mm-hmm. on the news. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, I think it was last year. There, it was um, two artificial intelligence like actually started to communicate in like some language that uh, that people can understand. So they shut them down. And I remember reading about that, and I just thought like that's that does not sound good. <laughs> that sounds you know very uh, uh, yeah dangerous. Yes, yes, because they're built to, in a way, replace us, like a, like mm-hmm. a more how we see perfect, their reflection of how we see the perfect person. Mm-hmm. You know, our desire to be like Pygmalion, you know, the play Pygmalion, like creating this perfect version of ourselves or of, of a human. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It also it's, makes you reflect on what it means to be human. Yes. And, and that is, that is a beautiful discussion as well. Why am mm-hmm. I, why, how am I different than one of these beings? How, mm-hmm. what is it that I have, you know, they're saying that, that um, art, art jobs and creative jobs are going to be in higher demand in the future because art is something that you cannot replicate. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can, re- you can, you can, you can program an AI to create art and maybe they have their own aesthetic, but it's never going to be original. And mm-hmm. I think one of the main things about art is that it's original. Mm-hmm. It comes from, it comes from spirit and what these robots don't have, these, the AI don't have is spirit. They have mm-hmm. code, they have pro they have a program, but what is it that animates us? Mm-hmm. That's what we have to look at. Mm-hmm. And then that thought itself can be dangerous in another way, because then if you if you if you uh, think that some type of intelligence doesn't have a soul, let's say, uh, but at the same time they if if it was advanced enough where they did have feelings and thought, uh, in a way that I think that would be dangerous because then you could actually hurt something, even if it's man-made, that uh, that ha- if it has like some type of genuine feeling to itself. Yes, I. I think, I think that um, that is where the key lies. You know, that is where the truth lies. Um, are those feelings our feelings? Are these beings going to be a perfect reflection of us? Mm-hmm. How are they going to deal with problems? How are they going to deal with emotion? Are they going to feel emotion? How much of how much of it is real? How mm-hmm. much of it is our creation, and how much of it is their own creation? Mm-hmm. This is stuff that Westworld deals with very well, I think. Yeah, I agree. It's always a uh, a theme that I really enjoy, 
in my opinion, I always think the first AI, AI uh, story is Pinocchio. It's about, you know, like oh, a toy yes. that actually does become, you know, a living being. Yes, I never even thought of that. That's so true. But he's animated. You know, he's, he, a spirit comes down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, like it's dealing with a more fantastical kind of way, but... But I think Pinocchio yeah. uh, was originally written. It's before we had a lot, you know, there was much technology. Maybe I'm thinking about the Disney movie where you see the little glow, <laughs> the sparkle right, come right, down like right. a soul and inhabit the body. Because uh-huh. that can happen too. You know, watching Annabelle and all of these horrors recently, um, is it possible for souls to animate these beings? How interesting would that be? If some interstellar, intergalactic souls, I'm out there, so uh-huh. bear with me. But what if these 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 beings and souls that are floating around, mm-hmm. as in Annabelle, you know, come down and inhabit these these beings, mm-hmm. um, and they have the capacity to to like move around and function and and affect the, the world around them? Well, I think if the, if if you do believe in a soul. In, or ghosts or spirits, that kind of thing. Why is it so out of? Uh, why would it be so far fetched that they would they could be able to get into something else? It's Another not, vessel. I think it's totally. I think it's totally realistic. I do believe in God, <laughs> uh-huh. and I say that with such um, pride and joy. And like, uh, you know, I was an agnostic for a long time, and I I do believe that that we all have God within us. And, you know, if you go, like a friend of mine said that to a psychiatrist and he, he called her a name or something, like you're a narcissist or you're a psychopath or you're whatever, because she said that she is God. I don't think there's anything more true than that. We are God. We are. Like, and so, so I think that, yeah, there is a soul, and, and why couldn't a soul animate a robot, or why couldn't a soul animate, you know, a, a, mm-hmm. anything? Mm-hmm. I think trees have souls. Anything that's a living being has a soul. Some people would go so far as to say, like, right now I'm looking at a, at a brick. Like, mm-hmm. maybe this brick has a soul. Maybe this brick has a spirit. So, um, you know, it has an energy, it has a vibration, everything mm-hmm. is made up of the same, you know, of the same stuff. So mm-hmm. why couldn't there be spirit in that? Mm-hmm. So, um, your personal beliefs, uh, when you watch movies like the nun, uh, how, what do you think of like, uh, the religious aspects of the movie or kind of what you're saying, I guess is more spiritual than necessary, like, uh, religion. I mean, um, you know, Bonnie Aaron said it really well. She plays the nun. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, we put, we put these religious figures on sort of um, a pedestal. And, you know, we, we look to them to give us answers and what's right and what's wrong. And, and so we have this sort of guilt and fear and reverence for them. But so when, when one of those people, you know, um, look, judge us, it's very frightening. So to have someone like this who's supposed to be, um, and most nuns that I know are super kind and super, um, you know, I went to Catholic school, but they're, they're super nurturing. And, and the Catholic Church does so much around the world, so much good. I mean, I know there's a lot of bad uh, rap as well, and there's a lot of negative to it. To it. But this movie doesn't deal with that at all. Mm-hmm. It deals more with, with the demon. Mm-hmm. And um, and the demon inhabiting the the body of this mm-hmm. of this yeah of it's this really being. not it's not a negative of religion in fact the religion no uh, religious people are, who come and say the day, a, so, yeah. yeah it's not a commentary on on religion I don't think at all mm-hmm. it, it definitely like touches on that you can't get around it they're at an abbey um, mm-hmm. but yeah. But look out for my character. I'm uh, I'm part of the village. I'm a local in the village where the abbey is, where the story takes place. Mm-hmm. Um, Marta, she's the waitress in the in the story. Yeah. Uh, what is Bonnie like? Who plays an unperson? She's a, she's super sweet and down to earth. And I met her when she was in her scary makeup, and she was 
so, so friendly. She had looked me up and was like, oh my gosh, you were in Westworld. I love that show. And she was uh, super complimentary. And it was funny to see her in her, she was in her nun makeup. So it was funny to meet her and hear her voice. And, you know, she's from New York and she has this sort of very signature voice. And she's so, she's so lovely. It was so good to see her again at the premiere. Yeah. So uh, I read that, uh, if you can explain what this is, uh, uh, the autism movement therapy. You're an autism movement therapist. Yes, I work with kids with autism um, with on the spectrum. I teach dance and uh, do Reiki healing as well. So mm-hmm. it's an organization called Guidance Autism, God, You, and I Dance. And we go into schools. We also have classes on Saturday mornings um, in the Valley in North Hollywood. And uh, we, we, we give the kids and their parents, um, if they choose to step in and join, we also have siblings join the class, but um, we have them, you know, just spend time together, dancing, moving together. Um, and it's very healing for them and it's fun. They look forward to the class and sometimes they get tired and, Sometimes they need encouragement, but the, we have a bow at the end of the class. And when they take that bow, they're all so happy. They're all, they all feel so accomplished, and that gives them that sense of accomplishment that carries them through the rest of the, rest of the week until we connect again. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, was there... And there's huge, huge... Oh, sorry, let me just say, I don't yeah. think that there's huge breakthroughs, like, um, and even small things to us mm-hmm. like tapping your feet or doing a full plie or doing a releve or uh, learning how to skip is a huge accomplishment for some of these kids you know we have different levels of classes mm-hmm. so so it's <laughs> it's very rewarding to see to be part of mm-hmm. i was wondering uh how did you got in, how you got involved in that not if there was a personal reason or if it was just something you thought was uh rewarding to do i had never known anyone with autism i think i'd gone to school with some kids who were in special ed who maybe had autism Mm -hmm. but it's the problem is becoming um an epidemic i would say Mm um i don't know whether it's i i i I try to stay away from like causes of autism and stuff i try to focus on just making the situation better and helping the kids but um I don't have any personal experience, but I, I, maybe it's because I'm more aware. I see so many kids with autism and they, you know, if you know one autistic kid, you know, one autistic kid, they're all so different. And so I, I, I guess I got into it by accident. A friend of mine, Carice Hutchings, um, started this organization and at first it was just like dance classes. It was guidance autism. And then she became a nonprofit, but I was with her since the beginning and we just taught, uh, we just rented a space and taught, taught dance to to kids, sometimes in private format, sometimes in group format. And, Mm -hmm. um, and we've been growing and yeah. And the classes continue. Is there a web? I don't have any personal, I don't have any personal relationship. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Is there a website or anything that people could go if uh, they would like to get involved? It's guidanceautism.com. All right, very good. And you can you can look it up and see more info on it and, and reach out to. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a f- some uh, questions I got on Facebook. Uh, some of them we already went over, so I won't ask them all. But uh, Brian Bradley wants to know: uh, Do you believe the Warrens were legitimate? The what? I'm the sorry? Warren, the Warrens. That's uh, what the um, the, the, oh. the couple that the that the uh, that the movies are based off of. Okay, yeah. So the question is, do I believe that the Warrens were legitimate? Right. Um, from what I've read, it's very convincing. They seem to be legitimate. I do believe in possession. Mm-hmm. I do believe in, um, you know, and I know that the Catholic Church had. Um, allowed the Warrens to perform exorcism, and I think they were the first lay people to be granted um, permission by the Vatican to do so. 
it would seem that they were. Yeah, it would seem that they helped a lot of people. And in a time, you know, when when it could have been taken as as just ridiculous, uh, you know, uh, people who deal with sort of possession or or some kind of evil spirit latching onto them, um, they don't have the help and the resources that they need. I'm a very spiritual person. I practice meditation and yoga and I pray and um, I'm very sensitive to energy. I'm an empath. I'm a Reiki healer. I obviously work with kids with autism. And uh, so I'm very aware of energy and uh, that I think that makes me a better actor. You know, I think it makes me um, better equipped to work on a character <laughs> and, sure. um, and I'm open to, I'm open to energies and, if I feel a negative energy from a person or from a situation, if I step in somewhere and it doesn't feel right, I, I've started to listen to that more and to distance myself, to find spaces with better energy, to, you know, surround myself with people with more clarity, with better energy, with, you know, and because um, I thrive and I thrive in that environment. Because mm-hmm. as an empath, a lot of, people who aren't healthy can latch onto you because they feel, you know, here's someone who's a natural healer mm-hmm. and they can heal me. They can help me fix my problems. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, you know, sometimes you can help someone and sometimes you sacrifice too much in the, in the act mm-hmm. of doing that. Mm-hmm. So then that, you know, if it's a friendship or, or some kind of work partnership or something, then you have to extract yourself from that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mace once, uh, let's see. No, just trying to find that. Oh, this, this one's kind of silly, but I did think it was funny. George Russian. Did you pick up any bad habits off anyone on set of the nun? It was this play on habits about nuns. Ah, that's hilarious. <laughs> um, I'm not a nun in the movie. I'm a non-nun. Uh-huh, right. <laughs> I'm one of the few non-nuns in the movie, uh-huh. so I didn't pick up any any habits. <laughs> right. Good or bad. Here. Good or bad. No habits. <laughs> well, when you're talking about uh, like um, negative energy and uh, believing uh, the spirits, of, do you have any personal uh, stories like involving like uh, I guess what we call ghosts or anything like that? No, thank thank God they don't bother me. Uh-huh. Um, I I don't know why. I mean, I'm an empath, but I'm not um, I'm not a channel. I I am very scared of the dark and of ghosts and uh-huh. and uh, stale stale energy or stuck energy. Mm-hmm. So I I obviously have like sensorial like feelings like when you get chills or when you you feel a gust of cold or a smell or. You just mm-hmm. feel the presence of someone standing around, but I've never seen a ghost. I mm-hmm. do believe I've seen my um, spirit guides and dreams or my just people on the other realm who are with me. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm very lucky because I'm very supported and it's only good people mm-hmm. in my sphere. If that makes any sense. Yeah. So I, 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 I only have good experiences really. That's good. You ever use a Ouija board or anything? I haven't used the Ouija board. Um, uh-huh. Have you seen The Conjuring 2? <laughs> um, no, uh-huh. I wouldn't. I wouldn't yeah. use a Ouija board yet. I might down the line. I don't actually believe that the Ouija board can draw in bad spirits. Uh-huh. I mean, it's pl- it's plausible. It's possible. I think whenever you are on a search for the supernatural or for spirits, mm-hmm. uh you can attract good as well as maybe bad, but that doesn't mean you don't go on the search or the journey. Mm-hmm. So when these girls did Ouija board, I think they were doing the right thing. I don't think they were doing in like in the conjuring, the mm-hmm. bad thing. Uh, they attracted something that I think was already in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that if you're clear and your question is clear, then mm-hmm. go ahead and use the Ouija board. I don't use a pendulum or a Ouija board. I use, um, just like really basic cards, like mm-hmm. not even tarot cards, just angel cards. Okay. And, and I tend to pay attention to them because they've been right in the past. 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes, sometimes they even like surprise me. Mm-hmm. And so when that happens, when I get an answer I wasn't expecting, I sit with it, I write about it, and I just keep my eyes open to it. Mm-hmm. Whether it's in regards to the situation or, or a person, I don't let it, I don't let it, how do I put this? I, I just, it's in my awareness. I just keep an open eye, eyes on the back of my head, and I look out for any signs that what the cards say are true. Mm-hmm. I sound like I sound like such a <laughs> I sound like such a such a loony or something. But <laughs> no, it's I oh, I was just saying, I had actually an interesting experience with Ouija board a few years ago because I'd be someone who I'd say doesn't really believe this kind of stuff, and uh, my friend and I used the Ouija board at a local cemetery cemetery here, and all the enough her name's Annabelle, but we used the the Ouija board in the uh, in the cemetery, and. Uh, it was very weird because we got all these answers and they, and it wasn't, uh, it was very mundane, which made me think there was something to it. Cause I would think even if like uh, subconsciously you'd be moving the, uh, it around, like you would try to think of, you'd come up with some kind of crazy, you know, things. It was like a very person that like was a teacher. And- oh my gosh. Doing that in a cemetery. That's asking for trouble. Dean. I don't know why you would do that. I mean, that's, you know, I think Ouija board, you have to be very respectful of the dead. And I think you have to be very clear with your questions. And you, it has to be because you need the, need the help. But, you know, you don't always know why you end up in a situation. So maybe you really needed answers to questions that you didn't even know you had. Yeah. Or maybe you were, you were going there and it, there was a sense of mischief behind it. And, mm-hmm. and, but you needed to do it to believe in the supernatural or to be more open Mm-hmm. to your guides or to whatever so there's there's probably a reason why you did that but <laughs> would you do that again i'm wondering <laughs> well we did it one other time on midnight in salem uh, on halloween night which is probably a bad idea too but that one we got like no response but, but they in were the, like, cemetery, the cemetery was they were like come the- on dean that's such a cliche <laughs> we're not coming out we're not coming exactly. out for that. Right, right. The the weirdest part about the one of the cemetery by me was it was really we were getting answers and then when we asked like if they were nearby, it just floated around the uh, the Ouija board. And I knew that the cemetery is considered haunted. It's been on TV and stuff. And so then I started to do research on it. And the reason why it's considered haunted, when they built the Cape Cod Canal where I live, they moved the cemetery, but they they misplaced the body, so the the tombstones are on the on the wrong bodies, and oh, then wow. the thing that that we got, and I didn't know it was the laughter and the idea that we were asking if it was like if we were by the tombstone, they just started to float around the uh, the board. is very strange. Did it float around by itself without you touching it? No, we were touching it, but it never landed on anything. It just kind of hovered around and, and wouldn't land on any. Oh, uh, oh, interesting! Wow, yeah. it really was fascinating. Yeah, it was an interesting did, experience. Did you get, I'm sorry, did you get any uh, useful information? Yeah, bef- uh, everything before that, it was like really basic stuff. Like it was like, uh, I think they, the person was said they were a teacher. And that's also what made me think um, like there was something to it because it wasn't anything like really bizarre or it was just like really basic stuff they were saying about, about them. But Dean, can I ask you a question? Sure. Did you ask anything that pertains to you? Like, um, no, we didn't. you know, why? I don't know. I think, uh, it's the first time I'd ever used it. We were really asking about the, about that person or whoever was around. We, we didn't know. Uh, oh. I've never, used, so I didn't know what to do. So, but. so you went there to connect. Yes. You didn't go there for answers about you or your life or how no. to proceed. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Well, my friend Annabelle, who had used Ouija board before, but she hadn't in a long time because she had a weird experience when she was a kid asking questions about herself. So maybe that's why we oh, didn't really? ask. Oh, yeah. really? Like, what, do you know what it was? The experience? I don't, re- like, yeah, she... I, don't, I don't remember, but I know, like, uh, when I bought the Ouija board first to use, like, she wouldn't leave it in her house or anything because she had bad experiences with it. But, uh, and she always wow. warned me never on my, my own and stuff like this. I don't really remember. Find out. So did you guys buy a Ouija board, use it in the cemetery, and then throw it in the trash? 
No, I actually have. I still have it here. We, you uh, have you... it in your house. I'm going to yeah. tell Annabelle. Annabelle, <laughs> I hope you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, then like, I think you're right about the, this very cliche midnight Halloween in Salem. That's just uh, being silly. Well, like, maybe uh, they thought that. I don't know. I mean, it sounds cool. <laughs> it was, it was cool. So what's, uh, where can people find you? Not like at your house, but where can people follow you on social media? Okay, so I'm on, uh, I have a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. It's just my name. And then I have Lily Bourdon, L-I-L-I-B-O-R-D-A-N. And then I have an Instagram page, which is at Lily Bourdon, L-I-L-I-B-O-R-D-A-N. And then I have um, a Twitter account as well. I post on all of them regularly, try to post once a day um, or at least a couple times a week. Mm-hmm. And so um, so please follow me. I'll follow you back. I'm big on following back. Very good. Um, all right, I'll follow and you. Then also, and then also, also let me know if you've listened to this show and mm-hmm. what you thought of the show. Curious to hear. Yeah. So. Well, I hope you had a, I had a good time talking to you. Yeah, me too. I'm glad you did chat. Glad we talked. Yeah. yeah, very good. And uh, have you back sometime when you have something cool coming out we can talk about? Which seems yeah, like you have please. a lot of stuff coming out. So, yeah, I do have a couple of things coming out. Um, I have a couple of features, actually. And then there's some things in development I'm uh, hoping to hear back about. And uh, But when that actually comes to pass, I will let you know. Hi, Lloyd. A little slow in here tonight, isn't it?